everybody, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Mike Van Meter Show. And this is your one-stop shop for everything having to do with conservatism, patriotism, the Constitution, and frankly, just the way that you ought to live your life. That's the way I look at it. And I wanted to bring a, another episode to you uh, and report to you that I had a fantastic meeting yesterday with Sheriff Glenn Hill down in Prince William County. And uh, just a great man had uh, lunch with him and had a meeting in his office. And I, I just, I have so much respect for him as a human being and, and a lot of vision that he has for the Prince William County Sheriff's Office and, and how to help the, uh, the citizens of Prince William County. And uh, we, we bandered around a, a lot of programs that uh, are, are helpful not only to the public, but for the prisoners in the jail down there and doing everything we can to get people that are in the jail to uh, get treatment for mental health issues, addiction issues, and even um, training to, to help them when they reintegrate back into society to make them a part of society and really just give people hope that uh, they can turn their lives around. And just uh, I'm going to do an episode on the, on that conversation and even have Sheriff Glenn Hill on the, the program so you can hear from him the the great projects that he's thinking about and wants to do and wants to implement. Uh, but that will be probably next week and look forward to doing that. But today I wanted to bring free uh, to you, rather, uh, Mike Allers, again, running for the Virginia State Senate here in the 28th district and uh, really talk about some issues and Mike and I were talking about you know people that come at you and ask you questions when you're running for an office and um, you know it's really one of those things where some of these issues get to be a bit nuanced and complicated and people get very passionate about those issues and that's fantastic because we're all passionate about the various issues facing the Commonwealth of Virginia but we wanted to talk about some of those and and really put out our thoughts and our ideas on these issues, because as we get closer and closer to the election on November 7th, it's going to be um, really things that we need to cover. And it's important for you, the listener and the voter, to understand where candidates are coming from so you can really compare and contrast the vision that all of the candidates have for the Commonwealth of Virginia. Now, Mike's a very busy guy because, you know, I mentioned November 7th. Mike actually has his primary coming up in about 50 days. It's roughly 50 days right now. And uh, so he's got battle number one. That's the primary. And then after that, he's looking at the, the general election. So with that, I wanted to bring Mike on. Hey, welcome to the program, Mike. Hey, good morning, Mike. And, uh, you know, I was looking at the pictures of you and the sheriff. He looks like a pretty large man, huh? <laughs> yeah, he looks... He's he's bigger than I, taller than I, and much better looking than I am. And I'm in those pictures. I'm looking like an old man, and he's looking like a really good fit, great sheriff's uh, sheriff. And I'm just looking like an old man these days. And he's been on the job for forty years. I thought you said right. That's yeah, incredible. I think a little over forty years. And uh, wow. yeah, he's just a, you know what, Mike? I really like Sheriff Hill. I really do. Uh, I you know when you when you talk to him, you just realize that this is a man that has a solid, solid vision for Prince William County. And, um, you know, I, I, it's a great conversation. I can't say enough good things about him. And I like the fact that you, if you covered those um, those mental health issues, is probably the majority of people in that jail right now. Um, yeah, a big number of them. Say, yep. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, we have, driving around here now, I see more and more and more homeless people and uh some of them with behaviors that are indicating to me that, you know, they're struggling with a few things. So uh, that's, a, that's a great thing that you're on to. I hope you can help them out. Um, 
Yeah, the, the thing I want to talk about today is, is you're right, what you said leading up, the, um, the issues that people present to you, like at the end of a meeting, you know, people are all milling around, and somebody will come up to you and present a pretty heavy question that they didn't want to ask, you know, while you were speaking, or somebody may present it online, you know, in uh, Facebook or whatever, they, and they, they're really anxious for you to answer it, but to answer it in that little block of space would be inappropriate. So I don't know about you, but I mostly get questions about parental rights, everything. Uh, the one, you know, anything from what's going on in schools, clearly, to um, the parental rights uh, for abortion, which is a really heavy topic to take on on a Facebook. Do uh, you get any questions like that yourself? Yeah, I get them all the time. And, you know, Mike and I, and for those of you that are listening, um, I will tell you, if you've never run for office, it's amazing the people that come out of the woodwork and follow you around. And I, I'm sure you, well, I know you've run into this, Mike, because you and I have talked about it, is that there are certain individuals that actually, uh, I don't know, lack of better words, they kind of track where you are and where you're going, and they follow you to these meetings. And, and you're right, they will lay a very heavy topic on you at the end of a meeting, and and maybe you've got a minute or two where you're in between discussions, and they want to ask, well, what do you think about abortion? And and they want maybe a 10-second um, response to that, and that's not, that's, not, that's not a topic that 10 seconds does justice to. And, you know, you get those all the time, all the time. And I think that this forum, like this podcast forum, is a great way to really lay out the foundation for what your views are because like you mentioned facebook instagram and all the social media sites is where people like to have these discussions and i don't know that that's the place to have these discussions i think that we've got to uh, take more time and be more thoughtful and nuanced in how we respond to these issues but i know that you've been getting a lot of that lately and i know that that's you wanted to cover a couple of those issues here on the podcast today well, the number one thing is the, the rights of parents when it comes to uh, a minor getting an abortion. Now, we know, we all, you know, everybody, the way the left portrayed the whole Roe v. Wade um, decision recently made by the Supreme Court was actually in, inaccurate. You know, they made it sound like abortion was no longer available to anybody when it was actually just turned around and put back onto the states. But in Virginia, um, I know Glenn Youngkin's trying to find some common ground with folks on the left with the, uh, the, the length of time uh, at which you can no longer have an abortion. But what's still on the books there is that parents need to be informed if an underage um, child does get pregnant. And the law kind of reads that that abortion could not be performed unless it was, a, I guess, a parent, a grandparent, or perchance uh, an older sibling that had to be in charge of the health care. Uh, in that particular, um, and I really don't, maybe health care was a poor choice of words because it's not really health care. You're aborting a baby. But um, it is um, something that people concern themselves about. They're very worried about where a politician like yourself or myself uh, stands on should the parents maintain that right. Because 
I mean, Glenn Youngkin is the governor who is running on, you know, parent rights constantly, and um, they don't want those rights stripped away in any sense. So you had an interesting way. I know you and I briefly uh, spoke about this a little before, but I like the way you you kind of present a question like that when you would throw it back at a person who asked it to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, you handle it. Go ahead. Oh yeah, I, I Mike and I were talking about this last night, and many of you know that I work at a hospital right now, and and I, I just asked Mike Allers the question when it comes to these things. If if I were, imagine this. Imagine if you're a parent and your child went into a hospital and then came home and said, "Hey, mom, dad, guess what? Uh, I went to the hospital today and they removed my appendix." or they amputated my left finger, or they did any number of procedures, and you found out about it as a parent. Imagine how you would react to that. You would think, how in the world, what gave the hospital the right to perform a procedure on my child without talking to me about it? No, no parent that I know would ever consent to that. Or be okay with that, rather. Because, you know, what you have to understand in, in the healthcare industry, you know, anytime, even minor procedures, anytime somebody cuts on your body, you go to the hospital and they perform a procedure, they open your body up, that there is a risk that you can die from this or have serious lifelong consequences as a result of that. I mean, I, uh, you know, look, I just had my gallbladder out last year. That's a fairly routine procedure. In fact, I think it's one of the most routine procedures that you can imagine. But they tell you, as you go in, there are inherent risks to that. You know, we're, we're going to put you under and we are going to remove your, your gallbladder. There's a chance you may not wake up from this, okay? And you need to understand that going in. Now, I'm an adult, but if I'm, if I'm 14, 15 years old and I have that and there's a chance that I not may not wake up for it, I'm kind of thinking that that's something the parent ought to know about it. Now, you, you move it into the realm of an abortion or sex change. Why would that be different? I mean, why would that be, uh, you know, why is it that it is absolutely not okay in one scenario and you change it to another scenario, i.e. abortion or a sex change, then all of a sudden it's okay. Mike, can you explain that to me? No, and, and, the, thing, and the thing is, that this, you, the way you put that is so, is, is just perfect because of the fact that, you know, I put it in the perspective of an educator, taking kids on a field trip, Right. Take a bunch of kids on a, on a bus. You're going to, say, Jamestown, for example. Before you go, even though an educator is in a position of what they call in loco parente, which means you're basically, you're acting instead of the parent. That's what you're doing. You're, you're temporarily given, not custody, but charge of that child for the child's welfare. Even in that case, if something happened on that field trip, that you, I have, I would, I would go armed with like three phone numbers to get a hold of somebody in case something happened on a field trip, like you said, the appendix or whatever, and that kid needed to receive some kind of care. And when advocates against parent rights come out and say, "Well, you know, it's too abortion for a fourteen-year-old is something that she shouldn't have to uh, discuss with her parent," they are usurping the parental role, the guardian's role, the grandma, whoever it might be, they're usurping their rights to such an extent that just 
it doesn't make sense. It's not common sense. Like you put it so, so eloquently, they don't seem to understand that the parents just shouldn't be removed from the equation. Is it an uncomfortable conversation? Yes. Is it something that could potentially, I imagine, do irreparable damage to a family? Sure. But but then why don't we do it through the realms of education? This is something, you know, a 14-year-old discovers she's pregnant. Then we need to kind of envelop that kid with professionals like yourself to help, you know, present it to a parent. There needs to be something of that nature so that it is not something that builds a permanent divide with parents. I mean, I don't know how that could be done so, you know, quickly or whatever, but there needs to be other things in place to protect the parent right and to ensure that a conversation or whatever to present to the parent is had. Um, but, you know, you moved on to the conversation of sex change operations. You know, when kids with their gender fluidity or their gender identification and you get child protective services wanting to jump in there and say that a parent has no right to opine on a kid's choice of gender when the kid when the child when the person's uh, the kid is a minor again how can that how does that make any sense because the eventual surgery that a child would seek to change his or her gender would be so traumatic and so and it's permanent so why would you want to remove the parent or guardian from that equation? I mean, you know, you give a, little, a young girl who wants, who's going through, you know, she has some kind of, she wants to change her gender. A mastectomy is usually the first procedure, right? And then God knows how many hormones. So, I mean, that's such a drastic decision for a minor to make. Uh, it, it astounds me when people don't think, that parents should be involved in that equation. Well, I, I think know. that this is one of those things where politics and social agendas enter into the medical realm, and it has no place in the medical realm. And that that is something that we've got to get away from because, again, it goes back to name another procedure that a child would have in a medical setting where the parent would not be notified. And this is the only area where that's the case. And then you have to ask yourself, why? Why is that the case? I mean, imagine, you know, you and I were talking about this last night, Mike. You know, if, if you were, and even putting it into a larger context, um, even the discussion about sexual issues and sexual preferences and um, the, these types of lifestyles in the academic setting, you know, I, 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 I really like to take a situation and put it into another context and then test it to see if we're still okay with that discussion. Imagine that you're in a Chick-fil-A or you're in a Walmart and some stranger came up to your kid and started talking to them about um, sex change operations or their lifestyle, whatever that lifestyle may be, uh, particularly when it involves sex. If you were in a Chick-fil-A and some stranger came up and, and started talking to your child about that, you sitting there as a, a parent, would you be okay with that? I don't think, I don't know a parent that would be okay with somebody doing that. Now, you might say, well, but Mike, that's, my child's in a school, in a school setting, and these are teachers, and we have inherent trust. Well, maybe, maybe not. 
Um, just because you're ch- my child's teacher doesn't give you a right to talk about whatever you want to talk about. And if you, as a teacher, live a particular lifestyle and um, you know d- do things in your personal life, that's that's fine. You <laughs> you that's fine. But what gives you the right to talk about that with children in in a school setting? No one that I know of would be okay with that if it was in any other setting. And and furthermore, we're getting away from academics, which is really what school is all about. And I also look back at my own life, and I don't remember ever a teacher talking to us as students about their their home life and their sex life and you know who who their partner was and i i don't know that i ever knew <laughs> whether my teachers were married or not or what i had no idea what they did in, in their private lives because they were just my teachers and we were to whatever if it was history or math or spanish or whatever whatever the class was that's what we were talking about and that's what we should be talking about why do I need to hear about who my my uh, uh, teacher is sleeping with? To be honest with you, uh, my kid, you and I were talking about this last night. I, I've never even talked to my own my own kids about my my sex life. Why would I talk to somebody else's kids about my sex life? I don't, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense to me. The only time I knew, you know, obviously, if you had a female teacher and she was expecting, you know, you were wise enough to figure that out. But. Um, yeah, but I didn't know if she was married or not. I, you know, I didn't, you know, is this her husband or boyfriend? I mean, yeah. It, yeah. But that's what's in our school, because when you were, you mentioned when you were talking about your teachers, I'm listening to you, you were mentioning subject matter. My English teacher, my math teacher, my Spanish teacher. We've gotten away from subject matter. You know, that's what's wrong. We got, we got these people bringing their personal lives into uh, the form of a classroom and kids need to hear all this other nonsense. It's like you said, we were talking yesterday about the fact that how politics are now infiltrating uh, medicine and, and, and the medical criteria and all the things that go on in hospitals. Same thing with education. And that's what parents are so furious because all of these things, the teacher's you know, pronoun and the teacher's lifestyle and the te- all of these things have now become more important than simply teaching math, science, reading, history, all of them. Everything has to be taken from a particular bent. And, and that's, that's exactly good. I mean, we're, we're covering exactly the, the problem in Virginia with how parents are being, for lack of a better word, just disenfranchised. They're yeah. being pulled out because they don't know, they have no clue the 100% transparency isn't there for the parents to see into the window of what their children are dealing with on a given day. And, you know, people got to stop assuming that teachers, you know, can have these conversations um, and they're trained to have any of these conversations. You are trained to teach subject matter. You are entrusted with the subject matter, the curriculum that's been state approved, and that's it. None of the stuff you mentioned, like you said, you, know, you and I are both around the same age, but I'm sitting in a classroom in the 70s. No one's bringing that up. I mean, in fact, my parents would get, my parents used to get very upset because clearly there were political issues going on. I mean, Vietnam is still going when I was in school. Um, so they, if somebody even breathed about that, my parents were on it. You know, because you, know, you would go home and go, you know, Mr. So-and-so is really, you know, not too thrilled with Richard Nixon. 
you know, and my father would go to the school, but, you know, if it, if it was even brief, but, um, I don't know, Michael, it was just, it, it seems to make common sense and you are in a unique position and, and the folks are going to be so fortunate to have you in the, in the 33rd district, which by the way, um, I'm only hearing awesome things. I, I you know, I do have my ear to the ground. You're really making inroads there. And your background is definitely one that really, uh, I don't know, goes beyond uh, what the left is ready for. <laughs> you know, you, you're, you're, not a, you're definitely not going to, they can never, they're not going to be able to paint you out to be a typical Republican with your background. <laughs> Uh, no, and the same for you, and I appreciate that. No, I, I, I really do. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, Mike, I'll, I'll take it a step further because I think you, you you raised a good point. When teachers go into classrooms and they start talking about their personal lives, A, it's off the subject matter, and B, it makes the class about them as opposed to it being about the class. And I, I kind of juxtapose that with counseling because many of you know that I, I do work as a counselor now. And one of the rules in thumb, one of the parts of the training that I got is, as a counselor was this, that y- you never want the session, the counseling session to be about you. So for example, people that are in recovery, like for example, I'm in recovery and when I, and that's great, right? It, it, it brings a background into a counseling session that maybe a lot of counselors don't have, but the danger, Mike, that I have, and I have to be very, very careful with this, but I think it's a principle that applies to teachers as well, that when I go into a counseling session with a client and we're talking about drugs or alcohol, if I um, start sharing, disclosing about my my story, my journey. The problem with that, Mike, is then that counseling session then becomes about me as opposed to about the client and what brought them to me, if that makes sense. And I think that the same thing applies here in teaching, that if I'm in a history class or if I'm in an English class and my teacher starts talking about their preferred pronoun and um, the fact that they're living with a same-sex partner or whatever, whatever whatever their personal life is, then the class then became about them and it's not about the material. And I think that that's what we're missing in education now is keeping the main thing the main thing. And that is when you walk into a class, the job of the educator, and you made the very, very strong point there, you're trained to teach history or you're trained to teach math. You're trained to do that. Stick with that. That's the main thing and keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, maybe your thoughts and on that. The, no, and, you, and the, um, you know, when you, I'll give you an example of that. When I announced to my class that I was going to run for the Senate last year, you know, I finished my career, although I was an administrator for years, I finished my career back in the classroom, as you know. And when I announced to the kids that I was going to run for the Senate, the immediate questions were, what are you, Mr. Ellis, a Republican or a Democrat? Now, anybody who knows me as an adult pretty much can read where I come from politically. I don't think I, I don't think I hide it very well, you know, in adult settings. But I was proud that they didn't have any clue. I was proud that they didn't know where I stood politically. And in fact, when I announced it, I wrote the word apolitical on the board because I told them, I said, look, it's not important for you to know where I stand politically. I just wanted you to know that I was going to jump into this realm and take part in the majesty that is Virginia government. 
and to continue this service. And so, yeah, it's hard. I will be honest. Did I? It's it's not easy because you know I do feel strongly uh, about my my choice politically. But the bottom line is what's best for the child. And then I was speaking at a board meeting, school board meeting, in October, November, and. An old student I had, now he's not old, he's only 17, but I had him when he was in fourth grade, and he stood up to present at that board meeting that night, and his political uh, beliefs aren't remotely like yours and mine. Um, in fact, when he was a little, when he was a young man, it was clear that he was, he was a Bernie bro back when he was in fourth grade. So, and, and you know, you don't shut that down. You cannot shut down the individuality of a child. It wasn't my job to shut that down. So he gets up to speak at this board meeting, now 17. And before I spoke at the board meeting, I took a moment to congratulate him on becoming a citizen actor. Okay? I did. And I'm going to be honest with you. People were mad at me for doing that. There were people in that audience mad at me because of this young man's political beliefs for me to point out that I was proud of him. And I said, I was so proud of him because it, this is what I said. I said, I'm, I was so proud of him because he was presenting everything with, you know, why can we do things with love in our hearts? And why can't we do things with a civil discourse? This is a 17-year-old uh, boy. And I'm saying... I said, I almost used his name, I'm not gonna, but I said, I am so proud of you, and for me to see you become this young man willing to and, and brave enough to present your thoughts in front of a forum like this, I'm proud of. Now, that's the role of an educator, right? Isn't the role of an educator to allow the children, the young adults, uh, even the adults in your classroom to become who they can become and what they want to become? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Quantico, wherever you teach, uh, you teach you teach exercise classes. You're not trying to change people's personalities, you know. So I don't know. It's we've lost touch with that. We've lost touch with what the role of a teacher is, what the role of an educator is, and clearly. Uh, we've forgotten so often, so many people have. And you know what, Mike? <clears throat> you know what? I'm going to tell you that I think that there's a, a lesson uh, in the last two weeks. Uh, last week, as a matter of fact, with the, the collapse of the um, Silicon Valley Bank, okay. I, I think that, that, that there's a lesson learned in, in our schools that could be learned from the, the collapse of the, the Silicon Valley Bank. Because when you look at what happened with that bank, um, they really lost track of what their primary role was, and that was banking. And, um, you know, people have done some investigations, in it, and, and what I'm the material I'm see, seeing now is the bank was really, really involved in woke politics. You know, they, they were doing conferences on people coming in and, and talking about preferred pronouns. So they, they did an entire conference on that. And the CEO was talking about how uh, proud he was that the direction of the company was, you know, really embracing um, diversity, equity, inclusion, the DEI concepts. And, and they spent a lot of time on that. 
and a lot of time on it. But guess what they weren't spending a lot of time on? Banking. <laughs> no, th- and this is the lesson learned for our, yep. for our schools. Because, and yeah. what happened was, because no one was spending their time working on the job at hand. Remember, keeping the main thing, the main thing. If you're a bank, your main thing is banking and they weren't doing that and they took their eye off the ball and they were worried about all these sort of peripheral issues these social issues that really have nothing to do with the banking industry and then look what happened but that's what's happening in our schools is that we were losing track of what is our main thing you know what is the purpose of a school and the purpose of the school is to educate it is not to indoctrinate you know all the lifestyle and social issues that's really up to parents Okay, that's really up to parents. And I don't want to send my kids to school to be indoctrinated with somebody else's politics and somebody else's, um, you know, social agenda and, and all these other issues, these peripheral issues that have nothing to do with the um, things at hand. And there's many people in the community, Mike, and this is what really gets me that we as public servants, you know, we're, we're talking about public schools here. We're talking about public schools, and for many, many people, their only choice is public schools. And so they're really forced into this situation, whether they want this or not. And we've got to get a hold of this. And, you know, thank goodness we've got so many people running for the school board. I mean, I know you've experienced this as well. And for the listeners, you need to understand that the hot <laughs> the hot office to run for right now is school board. When I go to these meetings, these these uh, Republican Party meetings, and, and you go and you, you hear from all the candidates and they give you a period of time to get up and speak you know i know the meetings i go to there are no other people running for the the state senate i'm the only republican candidate and there might be a, a you know a couple of uh people running for the house of delegates and there will be 20 people running for the school board and they all want to get up there it's like everybody's running for the school board because there's so many people that are very upset with what they're seeing with the school uh the school systems and um, you know, of course, you know, Loudoun County up here and the northern part of the state was the epicenter of all the problems that, that we had over the, the last year. And if there was one upside to COVID, COVID exposed what was going on with school boards and it's really motivated parents, which is a, is a good thing. But uh, if you ever go to a, a, a party meeting, get up there and look at how many people are running for school board. It's amazing. Well, last night, last night uh, at the um, Orange County meeting, which my opponent, again, didn't show up. I guess he's pulling a Joe Biden. But last night, there were four candidates that spoke um, with varying backgrounds. Um, I'm not going to give their names, but they're, they're amazing people. Uh, this one gentleman was involved with a, you know, a large aircraft company. And another uh, gentleman's a pastor and a, an IT expert. And another a lady had 34 years of teaching experience. I mean... These people are out there, and the, and the wonderful thing is, Mike, and this makes me feel good being our age, the wonderful thing that I see is our generation, uh, us 50-plusers, us you know, going into the 60s, are suddenly reinvigorated, and we know how good it was, and it's not, it's not glamorizing the, you know, the 80s, 90s, but we know how good it was and what it could be again with regard to our schools. And I think the wonderful thing about COVID is the fact that we saw how many people were trying to teach kids what to think rather than what, rather than how to think. And the window that COVID provided, as horrible as that computer teaching was, and trust me, I hated it. But as wonderful as that was, was you determined 
that parents now understand curriculum better, and parents also understand that kids can't learn online. You know, you need a beating heart teaching those kids. But, you know, you, you reference public schools. There is um, there's a great book called The Public School Advantage, and it used to talk about how, from a socioeconomic standpoint, public schools in history were very good about moving people along. But there's an assumed um, ideology, I guess it would be, that people think that private schools are automatically going to provide what public schools don't provide. And people have to be careful with that, too, because a lot of people who can't get jobs in public school go down the street and get a job in a private school. So you're, you're once again dealing with people who are still trying to indoctrinate. So although I believe in competition, and um, I believe wholeheartedly in school choice, and you should, as a parent, decide where your kid's going, don't be fooled into thinking just because it's a private school that it has your child's best interest in mind. You know what I mean? So it's, it's really, you got to be really careful when you're making a selection, making your dollars for, uh, follow the child, making your selection, be it a parochial school, whatever kind of school you want your child to go to, but always go in there with the same skepticism that parents currently have with regard to our public schools. Yeah. Because I do believe that competition eliminates complacency. Oh, yeah, like, absolutely. No, it's, 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 it's critical that we look with the same eye at every school we want to put our kids in. Yeah, very well so, said. Very well said. I, I tell you, it's, this is going to be an exciting time, and I, I'm excited for you. And I know that you're you're much closer to uh, decision point uh, your decision point okay. than I am. Um, fifty days. So maybe before we close out, maybe touch on that a little bit. What where we stand right now? We're about what is it? Fifty days out for your primary? Uh, yeah, it's like uh, what the, today's the today's. Uh, oh, happy St. Patty's Day, by the way. Oh, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my mother, my mother, I didn't even call her yet. She's gonna be annoyed. I um, yeah. So today's seventeenth. We have fourteen, thirty. Yeah, we have fifty days. 50 days left till May 6th. Uh, it's a Saturday primary. It's a little frustrating. Seven counties, only three polling places. Um, so the polling places are going to be, we're going to have to educate the people really well of where they're going to vote. Um, a lot of people, Michael, I was at this, uh, a gentleman's house the other day who lives in a rural part of Madison County, Virginia, and he's in his plus 90s. And, um, very, you know, vibrant guy, you know, pretty, uh, very healthy man. But when I told him where he had to vote, his words were, isn't that unconstitutional? He's mm. like, why can't I vote where I normally vote? So, because he's no longer driving. Um, and you can, you can tell that frustrated him immediately. So, right away, I said, I'm coming to get you on election day. I will personally drive that man to the polls. So... Getting people invigorated, uh, getting, you look at the data for primary voting, it's anemic. I mean, that's even if you got the long, you know, like a 45 day window. The, the polling, I mean, the data about who votes in a primary is really frightening. So out of, you know, the 230,000 people that live in my district, out of the maybe 30,000 who would have voted, I, you know, I don't know how many we're going to get out there. So we're really shaking hands and making folks understand, please come to the polls and please understand your choice matters. Because in my district, it's an R plus 
like 15. So really, the election for our district is going to be primary day. So it's only six hours. That's a little frustrating. And it's also a Saturday. You got Little League. You got soccer. You got the Kentucky Derby. So I'm praying for rain, but I am praying also that folks take it seriously. So yeah, because, I mean, you know what, that's one thing that COVID has shown us is if there's any doubt in your mind, elections matter. And you showing up or not showing up for an election matters. It really does. If you don't like what's going on right now, look at what's going on in the White House, right? That shows you elections matter. You have to show up. We're just asking for one day. Get out there because elections matter. And like Mike said, the, in the, the district that he's in, which is very different than the district that I'm in, that's it. You know, there's a good chance if you win the primary, then you're going to win the general election. And so, folks, you got to get out there. And, and it's really hard to get people motivated. And, well, this is an off-year election, period. It's hard to get people motivated for that. But then when you're talking about the primary, there's even less interest in it. And there's this, this temptation to... Uh, do other things than vote on that day, but do it. Make it a priority to get out there and, and support and Mike. It's difficult. It's difficult to get to the poll. I mean, like the folks up in, you know, I have seven counties. I have Spotsylvania. I have um, Orange, Green, Madison, Culpeper, Rappahannock, and uh, Southern Fauquier counties. And to get those people, you know, some of the people have to drive quite a bit. The people in Spotsylvania have to drive a bit. To get to Orange, the people in Green, where I'm from, which failed to mention, Green County, uh, have to drive all the way to Culpeper. So, and same with Madison. So these folks are coming from fairly remote areas. People from Rappahannock County have to drive over into Fauquier County. It's not an easy drive. If you know if you know Rappahannock County at all, they really only have three major thoroughfares that cover like 70% of the county. So you only have like three different ways to get to Fauquier. And so they're going to have to plan it out because it could be an hour to go vote. And then, you know, you got to plan your day around it. So I'm praying those folks do that. I am praying folks are, are making, a, uh, making up their minds at this point. And whether they vote for me or my opponent, it's still important to take part in that day. Um, I'm not foolish enough to, to think that I'm going to go on to roll the votes, but I do want people to take part in that day and come out and vote and make their choice. Absolutely. So it's, it's super important. All right, so, Mike. So let everybody know one more time if they want to support you, and please do support Mike Allers in the 28th District. How can they reach you, and how can they reach your campaign? Well, they can reach my campaign at Allers, lowercase A-L-L-E-R-S, Allers4VA.com. Allers for, excuse me, Allers4VASenate.com. Uh, I do, you know, we're nearing the end of our um fundraising cycle here, March 31st, I do need financial help. Um, I haven't been taking in loads of money. I don't take money from corporations like my opponent does. He's, he's taking tens of thousands from Dominion and other corporations. Um, I don't do that. I take money from regular folks who want to contribute to my campaign, a $20 bill here, a $10 bill there. Uh, I would appreciate anyone's help if they could help me out. I would more than appreciate more than money. I would appreciate prayer. Uh, prayer is powerful. And you and I both know that. And yeah. prayer, prayer is the thing we need most uh, beyond money. And in addition to prayer, if folks could volunteer, we need folks to hand out pamphlets and knock on doors and visit stores and put up the directions where to vote. 
that's what we're doing now. We're putting flyers in business windows to educate people as to where they're going to vote. So because the party isn't going to advertise this primary. Uh, so that's very frustrating as well. So um, that's the way it goes. But Alice for VA Senate, uh, dot com would be very helpful. And I appreciate you plugging that, Mike. Thank yeah. you. Well, hey, Mike, appreciate it. And we are praying for you. And, you know, Mike, keep up the good fight. You're doing you're doing great work out there, and you are absolutely having an impact out there in your your district. And so, look forward to the campaign, and look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you, sir. As usual, I appreciate it, sir. Oh, thank you. And Have once again, day. guys, yeah, you too. Once again, guys, that's Mike Allers running for the Virginia State Senate in the 28th district. Uh, get out there for the primary check out his campaign make a donation uh if you can you know every little bit helps you know even five dollars helps if you if you can uh put that together you know that's a well, frankly that's a just a couple of gallons of gas not even two gallons of gas or uh, a couple of cups of coffee and so please help him out where you can and uh, with that you know support me on my campaign as well in the 33rd district and that's uh, vanmeterforvirginia.com that's vanmeterforvirginia and it's spelled out F-O-R and uh, help us out and check our campaign out as well and, and I really am excited that we have a group of candidates that are like-minded and supportive of one another. And I know that when we get to the Senate, we're going to be able to do great work for the Commonwealth of Virginia. So with that, folks, this is uh, Mike Vameter, the, the Mike Vameter Show, and look forward to talking with all of you soon. Until then, take care of yourselves, keep your head up, keep up the good fight, and pray for Mike Aller's campaign. We all need as much help as we can get. Take care.